And so this morning, I'll let you know we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter one. Um, so as you're flipping there, I just wanted to I wanted to say thank you um, for having me and allowing me to come and preach. That's a that's a it's a big responsibility and one I don't take lightly. So I thank you for allowing me um, to come and do that. Um, I'm doing this with Agros, um, Agros Ministry with Joe Bridgman. And because Emily and I, we both have a passion for small town rural churches. The Lord has really put that on our heart. Um, that's where we grew up. We grew up at Rosendale Christian Church. And, you know, as I've been in seminary, I've just seen a lot of the guys there. They just they're not even thinking about these small town rural churches and going to them and and um, leading them. And so I think. Even just being there and witnessing that, the Lord has laid it on my heart even more. Of like, I want, I want to go to these churches. Like, I, I want to, I want to help lead them and, and then encourage other people to go to them. And so, I'm um, excited to be here with you guys for these nine weeks. Is what it should be. I'll be gone next week as you guys have your fall fest, which will be really exciting. Um, so yeah, it'll be a good nine weeks going through First Thessalonians. Um, First Thessalonians is going to be an awesome book, and I'm excited to see how um, to see how God uses it to grow this church. So let's read God's word in 1 Thessalonians. I need to flip there too. <laughs> All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Um, me and Joe got to preach our sermons together on Friday, and he gave me the whole chapter to do, and he was just doing verse 1. I was like, that's not fair. You're just <laughs> you gave me the whole chapter. But So we're doing the whole chapter today. So let's read God's word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray before we dive into it. Father, we just come to you this morning, God, just so thankful for your church, God, that you, Lord, have saved the people and brought us together, God, to live life together, to worship you together, and, and thank you for allowing us to gather freely this morning and to be able to, Lord, sing to you, pray to you, and, and Lord, study your word and see, um, Lord, the who you are and how you've called us to live, God. I just pray that you would bless this time, that you would use this to build up your church, and God, that you would do it by the power of your spirit. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians is Paul encouraging the church in the midst of, of affliction, persecution, and hardship. So in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 10, it actually records the founding of this church of Thessalonica by Paul. So the apostle Paul, he, he came to the city of Thessalonica on his missionary journey, 
And as was his practice, he went to a Jewish synagogue, it says. And when he went there, he says that for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Jesus was indeed the Christ. So the Jews, they're gathering together and Paul is explaining to them, this Messiah, this Christ you've been waiting for, it's this Jesus of Nazareth. And he was, he was reasoning from the scriptures about that. And through this, some of the Jews believed, and along with some, some of the pagan people from the, the city, and therefore they established this church in Thessalonica. However, the Jews who rejected Jesus as Savior, okay, they, just like they did to Jesus, they stirred up mobs of all peoples throughout, throughout the city to attack the Christians. Therefore, the church sent Paul and Silas away by night to get out of the city and away from these mobs. And so it's in the midst of this context of affliction that Paul writes this letter shortly after leaving the church. And friends, we, we can often be in the same boat as that church in Thessalonica. We, we need encouragement in the midst of affliction. It may not look like persecution, but we are still afflicted in this world. So we need someone to remind us of what is true and to build us back up. Okay, I'm sure if I ask some of you in here today, who, who needs encouragement or who is going through affliction? right? A lot of your hands would shoot up. Okay, we're, we're not alone in being discouraged by affliction. Actually, in 1 Kings 19, we read of Elijah, this great man of God, this prophet. Okay, he had just gotten rid of all the pagan prophets of the land on Mount Carmel. And he come, afterwards, he comes to a point where he needed encouragement and he needed a lot of it. He was afflicted and beaten down to the point where, where the scripture says he requested that he might die. Okay, that, that is how serious it was. That is how badly he needed some encouragement. Okay, affliction is serious, and the grace of God in the midst of it is what is needed. So Elijah, he had just ran from the, the evil Jezebel, as it says in this, in this account, and he sat under this juniper tree, and, and this is where he, he resigned to give up in the midst of affliction. Okay, this juniper tree is significant here because it's known for its qualities of shade, and fragrant and lasting embers and has these beautiful white blooms. So he sits under this beautiful white tree that's giving off this fragrant. And, and through this, God comes to him. Okay, Because even, even great men of God that we see through the scriptures that God uses in great ways, they get discouraged. They get depressed. They, they need God to come and revive them. Okay, we see Elijah did, Jeremiah did, John the Baptist did. We even see Jesus in the garden come to a point where, where he needed to be reminded of of the truth of God's will. So we are all subject to the same passions, the same afflictions as each other, as scripture says. And, and our answers are not to be found in the, in the secular world ways, but in the presence and the word of our great God. Okay, just imagine Elijah sitting under that juniper tree and some of the thoughts that could have been going through his head. He could have, he could have been asking God, like I'm, or saying, I'm done, God. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. He could have been asking, are you done with me? Like, it just, it just seems impossible right now. There's persecution. There's all these things happening all sides of me. He could be like saying, God, like, this wasn't supposed to happen. You've been using me in these great ways. Why is this happening? Does anyone care? Is anyone going to help me? Okay, sometimes discouragement from affliction makes us feel like we've been, we've been broken or destroyed or crushed beyond help. Yet in 1 Kings there, Elijah sat under that tree discouraged and depressed, and he fell asleep. And after he fell asleep, an angel of the Lord came and touched him and called him to rise up and to eat. And so Elijah did, and he rose up and he ate, and then he fell asleep again. And then the angel came and touched him a second time, it says. And, and the angel called him to arise and eat again because he was about to go on a journey. 
the angel told him, for 40 days and 40 nights, and he needed to eat. So Elijah ate again. And then he went on that encouragement for 40 days and 40 nights to do the Lord's will. So God fed Elijah under that juniper tree to encourage him in his work. And, and so he will feed us today by his word to encourage us in our work. Okay, so Paul, in our, in our passage from 1 Thessalonians, he opens with a typical greeting and, and he seeks to encourage the church in the midst of their affliction through God's work in the gospel. Okay, in the midst of affliction, Paul is showing through his personal prayer to God all the reasons they can be encouraged by God's work through the gospel in their lives. Paul begins his encouragement of the church by saying that he, Silvanus, and Timothy pray for them. They pray for them. And they're praying to the creator of the heavens and earth, their, their heavenly father, God Almighty. Okay, that right there is encouragement in, in itself. Okay, these are people who are just getting going, following Jesus and being his church. They're being heavily afflicted for loving Jesus. They likely do not have contact with other Christians, right? There's no, there's no social media. They feel alone. Yet here is Paul reminding them that they are prayed for, that the, that the global church of Jesus cares for them and prays for their little local church in Thessalonica. Paul then tells the church how he is praying for them. And it is by giving thanks to God for them. The church needed to hear this. Paul didn't say he was praying for them that they would be delivered from this affliction. He didn't pray for their health and safety. That's not what his concern was at this time. Okay, None of that would have been nearly as encouraging as reminding them of the truth of what God was doing. Okay, They, they would, could have thought that if he prayed for them to get out of this persecution that they were not experiencing what was according to God's plan. But he's saying, no, you're right in the midst of God's plan. Okay, God is working this out for good. Paul shows that because God has worked in their lives through the gospel that they can be encouraged. So that will be our main idea for this passage, that because God has worked in us through the gospel, let's be encouraged in our work. And through this passage, we'll see it more clearly through specific aspects of God's work through the gospel. And those will be my key points. And they're be encouraged in God's saving work, be encouraged in God's transforming work, and be encouraged in God's kingdom building work. And so that's where we'll be going today. So I want to, I want to follow Paul's example and call us as a church to be encouraged in our work because God has done a work in us. And, and what work is that? Well, it begins with his saving work. So in verses three through five, we are to be encouraged in God's saving work. Be encouraged in God's saving work. So look with me at verses three through five as I read that again. It says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So start with verse four there. Paul encourages them in God's saving work by pointing them to the fact that they are beloved by God and chosen by him. Okay, in the midst of the affliction, the church very well could have thought, there's no way God loves us with what we are suffering. There's no way. Okay, that is a common temptation. We, we thought of that during the prayer time. When we're going through affliction, our, likely our first temptation to think is, man, God, there's no way God loves us in the midst of this. Okay, especially for this church here in Thessalonica, they, they were likely taught that God blesses those he loves with prosperity and victory, while those that God rejects, he brings curses and destruction, destruction on. So if that teaching is still ringing around in their head, then it would have affected how they thought God thought of them. They could have thought that they were the rejects of God. But Paul says, no, 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 you're not the rejects. You are loved by God. You are chosen by him. 
Okay, that comforts their hearts in the midst of affliction to know they are loved and wanted. And not only that, but loved and wanted by the God who is infinite and eternal and needs nothing. God does not need this church in Thessalonica, but he chooses them in his love. Okay, their affliction is not a condemnation on, on them. And we see in this that this is the foundation of God's saving work. It begins with his loving choice to save those who have faith in Christ. And Jesus, the Thessalonians are chosen. It's not them, it's God. And that is why the church can be encouraged. We are, we are loved first by God. Okay, Paul then goes on to confirm this encouragement even more. He says they can know God's love for them and his choosing them by noting that the gospel did not merely come with words. Okay, they weren't convinced by like this lofty rhetoric or this persuasive argument alone. Okay, they did not just ascend to some knowledge of Jesus. It was, it was far more than this. It says the gospel came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Okay, this saving work of God, it's, it's not like listening to a TED talk and agreeing with the speaker's presentation. That's not what this is. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's means of saving man. And it comes in power. It comes with God himself, okay, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, moving, it says, with full conviction and displaying the glory of God in the gospel. Okay, Paul then affirms this truth of the coming of the gospel once more by saying, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay, this will be the main um, topic of chapter two. So I'll just say this quickly, the, the Christ-likeness or the character of the person who is sharing the gospel helps to affirm that it is true. Okay, Paul says they know this gospel came, was not, and it was not just words, because of four things. He said the pa- power of it, the Holy Spirit, the conviction, and their own conduct. Okay, the gospel has to be real in the life of the evangelist for the people to believe in it. And that was the case for Paul and Silvanus. So we see that the way the gospel came to the church of Thessalonica, it attests to its truthfulness. Okay, Paul was preaching a resurrected Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, for the forgiveness of their sins before a good and holy God. Okay, that's hard to wrap your minds around. Okay, that, that's difficult. And why should they believe in it? If he just came with words only, why should they believe that this Jesus was truly resurrected for the forgiveness of their sins? Okay, but God did not leave it to mere human words alone. So now to backtrack to verse three there. We see how the gospel came in power and in the Holy Spirit to the Christians at Thessalonica. They can know it came in power because it, it produced a work of faith, a labor of love, and a steadfastness of hope in Christ. Faith, love, and hope. That is, a, that is going to be a common theme that motivates Paul's writing throughout 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to return to it almost every week in this book. Faith, love, and hope are the pillars of the Christian faith. Okay, this is what the gospel produces in us. And it's, and it's not just like a floating faith, love, and hope where you just, you just have this faith. It's not just a word. It's not just an idea. It's a, it's a faith that's grounded in Christ as revealed in the scriptures. So the saving work of God, it, it brings an outworking of that salvation through faith, love, and hope. And, and this brings encouragement to the church. It reminds them that this gospel is true. Okay, Christianity is not a passive religion. It is active. And that's why it comes in the power of God. That, that word in each phrase, the of, the so work of faith, it can be better understood as produced by. Therefore, we can read it like work produced by faith, labor produced by love and steadfastness produced by hope. Okay, this saving work of God that, that brings faith, love, and hope, 
and then produces active effects into our life, that of work, labor, and steadfastness. But to quickly clarify, that phrase, work of faith, could throw you off in your initial reading, right? You could think, well, I thought we weren't saved by works. And you would be right, okay? That's not what Paul is saying here. Okay, he's not saying that our work in our faith is what saves us. This work proves our salvation. It shows it. It's why these Thessalonians can be encouraged. Like I mentioned, Paul is saying that our faith produces our work. Our faith works it out. Think about when, um, think about when the four friends brought the, the, their disabled friend to Jesus. And they're tearing open that roof to drop him in. And it says Jesus, Jesus said it's, he saw their faith. Right? Their, their faith could be seen because of their actions. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We see our faith through the work that it produces, through the life that is produced from it. So we are saved by faith, and we then work from that salvation, not for our salvation. So as most of you know, I, I grew up in the church okay, over at Rosendale in a family that loved the Lord and did their best to raise me in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as Scripture says. And, and I would have claimed to be a Christian my whole life. Okay, people would have thought that. That's what I would have said. However, if I was ever in affliction, I would not have been able to be encouraged by God's saving work in my life. Okay, I, I thought God loved me. I thought these things. However, the gospel had not come in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction of my life like the scripture is saying. Okay, faith was not producing my, my work. Love was not producing my labor. And hope was not producing my steadfastness. There was not a saving work of God in my life to be encouraged by. Okay, I relied on just my like generic belief in God and my own self-righteousness for my salvation. I could have told you the statement that Jesus died for my sins, but I was a good kid. So what sins did he really die for? That was my thought. I didn't, I didn't really need him to die for my sins. But as I went to college my freshman year, okay, God broke down the idol of basketball in my life. Everything I put my life in, he tore it down. And so it left me questioning what life was about. And at the same time, my identity as this righteous little Christian kid was being destroyed as I grappled with my own with my own sinfulness. It was being revealed to me during this time of just realizing I, man, I wasn't this righteous little kid. Like that was just a mask I was putting on. So this broke me my all through my freshman year of college into into the beginning of my sophomore year. And in my sophomore year, Zach Weston, who some of you may know, he invited me to FCA Fields of Faith at Northwest, which coincidentally is going to happen tonight at Northwest if anyone wants to go. But he invites me there and, and I go and a girl, a volleyball girl from Northwest shared her testimony of her salvation. And in it, she shared the gospel. And that night, God brought that gospel in power and full of the Holy Spirit and conviction like the scripture says. It left me, it left me sobbing in my apartment and taking hold of Jesus in faith for my salvation, trusting in him alone for the forgiveness of my sins before God for the very first time. That, that night, God truly worked in me a faith that would produce work, a love that would produce labor, and a hope that would produce steadfastness. So friends, now because of the gospel coming in power to save me, I, I can be encouraged in the midst of affliction. I can be encouraged in the midst of affliction because I know God's saving work in my life. I can know for certain of God's love for me and is choosing me because of how that gospel came to me. So church, for those of you who are in the midst of affliction, hardship, and persecution, maybe, are you doubting God's love for you? Are you doubting that God listens to your prayers, that he cares about you and is actively in control of every moment of your life? Think about like when you're driving alone in, in your car at the end of another long and terrible day, are those thoughts just running through your mind? Are your doubts just attacking your conscience? 
If that is you, be encouraged by God's saving work in your life. Remember how you are saved, how the gospel came in power to save you. Let that be the foundation for you to know that God loves you and has chosen you and he is with you. Be encouraged to take those terrible thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, as scripture says. Remind yourself of what is true. Remember this passage and Paul's encouragement to the church in Thessalonica. Okay, let this encouragement of God's saving work lead us to worshiping God as it does David in the Psalms, where, where David says, he says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. And as it does with the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 12 too, where he says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. For those who want to be encouraged by God's saving work, but as, as you read in this passage about the gospel coming in power and producing faith, love, and hope, you just you couldn't relate. You don't have that experience of tasting the Lord's salvation like that. So today, do as I did and cry out to God and take a hold of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection for your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, and let God bring the gospel and power to your life. Do not allow today to pass by without receiving salvation in Christ's name and experiencing that salvation. That, that night at that FCA Fields of Faith, I could not let that night pass by. Right? I, I, I couldn't just stuff those, those thoughts, those emotions, what I knew to be true down. I had to respond in faith to Christ that night. Do the same. Do the same today. So we are to be encouraged by the saving work of God that is in our past. However, it is not only our past that we can be encouraged by. We can also look to our present context to be encouraged. And that leads us to, to be encouraged in God's transforming work. So in verses 6 through 7, Paul calls the church to be encouraged in God's transforming work. So look with me at verses 6 through 7 as I read those again. It says, You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So in verses 3 through 5, Paul had the people's, their initial salvation in mind, okay, when they first received the gospel. And now he is moving forward from that salvation. And he says, you also became, you also became. Okay, they first, they first became God's beloved who are chosen. That's who they first became. And then from there, they, be, they moved to another aspect of Jesus' work in the gospel that we can be encouraged by. And this is God's transforming work in the gospel. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, became imitators of us and the Lord. The church and all who are saved by Christ and the gospel are not left as they are. A person is not the same when the gospel comes in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. God's gospel saves and transforms. It is presently working in a believer's life. Okay, They did not just have to look to the past to be encouraged. They could look to how God is transforming their lives right now in the present. So the church became imitators of Paul and his friends who were, who were in themselves imitators of the Lord Jesus. As we know from 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul tells the Corinthians church to, he says to them, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So by imitating the example of Paul and his co-workers for the gospel, they are in fact imitating Jesus. That's what the Christian life is. That's why we're Christians. We're little Christ. We, we imitate our Savior. So to imitate means to mimic, right? You see this with little kids. They they see parents or friends doing something, so they mimic it and do the same thing. Okay, They trust, whether for good or for bad, that what they are seeing, they are supposed to do. 
right? And sometimes that doesn't go so good. But with the Thessalonians, they saw Paul and his friends as those who knew how to live the Christian life. They saw them as those who knew how to be disciples of Jesus. And because of that, they imitated them, and therefore they were imitating Jesus through them. So Paul even gave the exact way in which they imitated them here. Their imitation was seen in their receiving the word of God in tribulation from the Jews and the pagan people of the city with joy in the Holy Spirit, he says. They saw Paul have the exact same joy in the Holy Spirit in the midst of persecution, and they imitated him. Okay, that is the transforming work of God and salvation that should encourage the church. Joy in tribulation is not natural. Okay, unbeliever, unbelievers do not have that because what are they hoping in? What is causing their joy? They don't have anything. Whereas the church has the hope of Christ. They have the hope of the resurrection from the dead, eternal life. Okay, that is a hope that brings joy in the midst of affliction. And we cannot fail to realize the source of this transforming work in the passage It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. Verse 6 says it's the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the Lord and the giver of life. God himself in the person of the Spirit comes and seals us in salvation and dwells in us to bring about that transforming work. So the church, as they imitated Paul and his friends, then in verse 7, it says they became an example to the rest of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, that is the discipleship that Jesus commanded. You get the gospel passed along to you. You start learning how to live it from them. And then new believers behind you, they start learning from you. It's this, it's this handing down of the gospel to generation and generation after you. So no longer did the Thessalonians live as either legalistic Jews or rebellious pagans. No, they have been saved by the gospel and transformed by the gospel. Okay, that is their encouragement they can look at of how God transformed their lives and they could be encouraged in the face of affliction because of it. Okay, this transformation means that God has not abandoned them. If you are being transformed, that means God is within you by his Holy Spirit transforming you day by day. God is with you. So church, do you know how I knew I was not saved until that night at the FCA event? It's because unlike the rest of my life, since then, God has been doing a work in me and changing me. I am not the same person as I was back then. God has been changing me. Okay, no longer do I love my secret sin and desire to rebel against God. No longer am I a slave to every temptation that forces its way into my head. No longer do I desire just to live for myself and for my own glory. No, God has changed me. Where I, I, Even though I fail to live up to it often, I truly desire to live for Jesus and to live for his glory, to, to love and to work for the good of those around me instead of for myself. And it's not because I just decided to be a better person. No, it's not that. My whole life I was trying to be a good person. It's because of Jesus' work in the gospel in my life. Okay, it's, it's because God does not just forgive our sins and leave us as we were. Okay, he forgives our sins and then he begins to clean the sin out of our life. Okay, even more so in my life, I never imagined I would be called a vocational ministry. Never. Okay, I never thought I would desire, actually desire to serve the Lord's church. Okay, never would I have volunteered to get up in front of people and to preach and pour my heart out. I hate public speaking. And yet God has called me to it, and I desire to do it for his glory, for, for the good of his church. Okay, I, I always wanted, what I wanted to do, I'll tell you, I wanted to coach and win a lot of championships at whatever level I was at to bring a lot of glory for myself. That's what I wanted, but now I'm going to be doing the exact opposite of that in vocational ministry. And I, and I could not be more excited for where God is leading Emily and I. Okay, God has transformed my life. Now, I don't normally use my, myself and my story in my sermons, but 
I do so today so that as I'm here for nine weeks, um, you guys understand where I'm coming from. And as we talk about these foundational aspects of our salvation here today, that I can attest to you, attest to them with you by my own experience of them, that I have experienced the salvation and transformation. Like, I'm not just preaching these words. Like, I've experienced it, and I, I know many, hopefully all of you have experienced it as well. So, church, this is such an encouragement from the Lord when we can look back and be amazed at how the Lord has completely changed our life in Christ. When we can look back and be like, man, I was that way, and now because of Jesus, he's changed me. Okay, it may, it may be incremental, it may be a little bit at a time, but he is changing me day by day. And you can see how God is slowly moving you to being more and more like Christ throughout your life. Sometimes it's by leaps and bounds, and sometimes it's just little steps at a time, but he is working in your life. Because friends, if Jesus saves you, he isn't going to leave you the same. And praise God for that. Okay, if Jesus had to die to purchase your salvation, if God himself had to come down and die for our salvation, do you really think he's going to let us continue to live in that sin he died for? Praise God that he's not. Praise God that he's not. So church, for, the, for those of you who maybe don't have a moment of salvation like I described earlier, okay, maybe you were saved as a young child or you just kind of gradually came to faith over time, but you don't have that conversion moment, you may hear my story or listen to other Christians tell about their conversion and you think back and that's just not you and it can maybe cause some doubt or confusion, but but that's okay, okay? That does not mean you are not saved. My, my wife, Emily, okay, she was saved at a young age. She doesn't have that moment of conversion like I have of that, like that specific night. But she knows she is saved because she has believed in the gospel of Christ for her salvation and because God has been changing her her whole life, slowly transforming her. And so if that is you, you can take a hold of this encouragement of God's transforming work in your life right now in the present. So as you are afflicted and suffering, remember God's redeeming work in your life. Remember how you once were and because of Jesus, how you are now. Be encouraged that as God transforms you more and more to be like Jesus, that you will be able to have more joy in the Holy Spirit in the midst of affliction. And be encouraged that as God transforms you, you will be, you'll be used in the church by God to see new and young believers also be transformed. You will be that example to the next generation of believers. And that is, I can tell you, that is the best thing. To, to be able to walk with these new young believers as they're just figuring out how to follow Christ and you get to lead them in that is the most beautiful thing. So be encouraged that you will be able to do that as you are transformed more and more by Christ. So in the midst of affliction, as you need encouragement, follow Paul. Follow Paul and what he says in Philippians 3. He says he forgets what lies behind and he reaches forward to what lies behead, ahead. So as to press onward, he says. He says he presses onward towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's pressing on towards eternity. For he states a couple of verses later, he says that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So church, remember that the transforming work of God will reach its conclusion when you are with Christ for eternity. Okay, he says he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Be encouraged that, that God's transforming work will reach its conclusion and we will not suffer affliction anymore. So God is doing a work in us by saving us and then transforming us. But it's, it's not about us ultimately. There's more to it. So now we get to see that one of the purposes behind that saving 
and transforming work. And, it, and it's for God's glory. And thus, his work in us is for something that is beyond us. So we get to look. We no longer have to look out at ourselves, but we get to look out. And so it is for him and his kingdom. And we get to play a part in building it. Therefore, this last, last point, we are to be encouraged in God's kingdom building work. We are to be encouraged in God's kingdom building work. Look with me as I read verses 8 through 10 again. It says, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we have with you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So Paul continues to explain his prayer of thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians by showing them how Christ is building his church through them, how he's expanding his kingdom by their work. Okay, the church can be encouraged that God's kingdom on earth is being built by their faithfulness. Okay, Paul says that the, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Picture a trumpet reverberating Okay, when it is blown. That is the idea here. The gospel through the word of God is reverberating through the land so that God's kingdom is being built by this church in Thessalonica. Paul says, and it's not just in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, so think like it's not just in Fillmore and in Andrew County. Okay, God's gospel in the Thessalonians is not only spreading locally and nationally, but it's also spreading beyond their borders. It's going internationally. Okay, the people had accepted the gospel wholeheartedly. And as they were transformed and their faith produced work, and their labor produced love, and their hope produced steadfastness. The gospel was going forth everywhere. It says their faith toward God, God has gone forth. People could see it, just like Jesus could see the friend's faith. It has gone forth to the extent that Paul says, he's like, I don't even need to say a word. Okay, Paul doesn't have to go around and try to convince people of the power of the gospel and explain what God has done at Thessalonica. He doesn't have to say, like, let me tell you this story about Thessalonica. No, it's, it's spreading rapidly. Okay, the church is blowing up. They're going viral. Right? They're racking up the views if they were on YouTube. Okay, the church could be encouraged in this persecution because God was using that very persecution to build his kingdom and to show the power of his gospel. But remember, remember how they were going viral, though. It was through their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in Christ. It was not through anything crazy. Okay, It, it was through the simple faithfulness of these people to live the Christian life that God has called us to live in. In scripture okay they were doing it in the midst of a hostile culture so in the midst of a hostile culture as they go around and they just they work from faith they labor in love and they remain steadfast in hope that is going to sound for that is the kind of faith that people are going to hear about okay and this also wasn't an individual work it was a corporate affair it says the word of the lord sounded forth from you meaning the whole church okay the, the gathered body of pe- of the church it makes such a bigger impact than just individual Christians going around. Whenever we gather together, whenever we do this work of faith and labor and love and steadfastness of hope together, it is so much more powerful than just individual Christians. So what is it about this faith that sounds forth and spreads everywhere so that Paul doesn't even have to say a word as he says? Paul tells us it's, it's the report that has been spreading that the Thessalonians have turned from their idols. They've turned from their idols and they now serve a living and true God. And they confidently wait the second coming of Jesus, this, this very Jesus who will raise his church from the dead, giving them everlasting life and glorified bodies and rescues them from God's wrath against sin. Okay, these people had previously worshipped and served their idols. Their lives were to, devoted to something other than the true and living God. 
Okay, whether that was Jewish legalism or pagan gods or their careers or money, whatever it was, they turned from these things and they turned to the true and living God. Okay, that is repentance. That is, that is the message that Jesus came with, repentance. And this is what the Thessalonians did. Okay, all people who are saved by Christ, a part of that salvation is turning from your idolatry of before and turning to Jesus. Okay, not only did they turn to look at God in faith, but then they serve the true and living God. As Paul said earlier, their faith produced work, their love produced labor. Okay, our lives are lived for God when we turn to him. And what a beautiful life that is. And finally, their, their hope produces steadfastness like we heard earlier. Okay, they turn to God and are waiting for his son from heaven. They are steadfast in their hope that Jesus is coming. Okay, that's the glorious truth of, of the gospel that will reverberate through the world. Okay, saving lives until Jesus comes back. God will use his church to see lives saved until he comes back. So there's an incredible true story of a, of a woman named Betsy and her encouragement in the midst of affliction by God's kingdom building work. Okay, Corey Tinboom, her sister, chronicles this in her book, The Hiding Place, which if you haven't read it, every Christian needs to read The Hiding Place. Okay, Betsy and Corey, this is a true story. They're in a, they're in a Nazi concentration camp. They, their family had been hiding Jews from the, from the Germans and they had been caught and they had been sent to this concentration camp. And in their sleeping quarters, there broke out a terrible infestation of fleas. And Corey was complaining over and over again. And, right, like we can't even fathom that. You're Not only are you in a concentration camp, but there's a, there's a flea outbreak. Okay, like it just, it can't even get any worse. But Betsy, her sister, she was joyful in the midst of this affliction. So one day, Betsy gently asked Corey, she said, Corey, how about we pray and we thank God for the fleas? Because scripture says to thank God in every circumstance. As we'll read, it's in 1 Thessalonians that she was taken that from. And Corey could hardly believe it. How in the world, she was having a hard enough time thanking God anyways, but to thank him specifically for the flea, she couldn't even, couldn't even imagine. But she followed her sister's lead and they began to thank God every day for the fleas. To go back a bit, when they had, first, when they had come into the camp, they had smuggled the New Testament in with them. And their only time to share the gospel and the word of God was when the guards were not around. Okay, so they were looking for any opportunity they could. And they noticed that shortly after they began their prayer of thankfulness for the fleas, they found that every night in their sleeping quarters, the guards would leave them be. They'd leave. Therefore, every night they were reading scripture and talking to other prisoners about Jesus and salvation, his name, and many were coming to faith and being saved. They, they said that most nights they were able to read through the New Testament. So they were just reading through the entire New Testament night after night with all these prisoners. And they are seeing people saved. And Corey and Betsy later learn. Actually, as I'm thinking back, I think Betsy had, had died by this time. But Corey later learned that the reason the guards were leaving them alone was because of the fleas. That was the sole reason that they were able to share the gospel and read scripture with these prisoners. was because God used those fleas to bring about good. Okay, God used the fleas and Betsy's obedience to build his kingdom even in a Nazi concentration camp. So church, remember Betsy's story. Okay, as we suffer affliction, remember that God can and will use us to build his kingdom to see lost people saved. And that is a beautiful thing. That, that takes our eyes off of ourselves and onto what it, God is doing and onto other people and seeing, and seeing their good. Okay, you may look at yourself and think, man, I'm not very gifted. I mean, I'm worn out right now. I don't have a bunch of time to try and do, to do these things to reach people. But guys, God used this church in Thessalonica right where they were. They used their simple faithfulness in their everyday lives. 
He can do the same right here at Fillmore Christian Church. We just have to be faithful and work. We must labor in love and remain steadfastness of hope. Okay, think about this as well from the passage. Paul is the apostle, right? He's the evangelist. He's the one God has anointed to bring his gospel all around the known world at that time. He's the missionary, the one establishing the churches. Okay, and this is often the only one we think God will use to bring the gospel and save other people, but it's, it's not true. Okay, the word of the Lord sounded forth from the church. Paul didn't even have to say a word, he says. Okay, God used that church of, of these just everyday Christians to build his kingdom. Okay, it's true that, I mean, God calls people to vocational ministry, such as pastoring and evangelizing, but God uses everyone to share the gospel. He'll use any circumstance to build his kingdom. So we cannot leave the sharing of the gospel with those with the gift of evangelism. Okay, we are all called to share the gospel, given a reason for the hope that we have. And God will bless our effort. And this gives us purpose and motivation as we suffer affliction. We are suffering affliction with the goal of seeing more people saved. It lifts our eyes off of ourselves. So Fillmore Christian Church can, can resound with the glory of the gospel as the Thessalonians did and see Jesus' name ring out throughout this town and this county. And I mean, just think about the opportunity you have next weekend at this fall fest. Okay, as, as the members here continue to work by faith, labor and love, and remain steadfast in hope. Just living everyday faithful Christian lives and just sharing the hope that is in you. So will you commit yourself to those three things today for the glory of God and the building up of his kingdom right here in our community to work by faith, to labor and love and to remain steadfast in hope? Okay, let that encourage you to press on and not give up. And as we suffer affliction, are encouraged in the midst of it, we remember that Jesus will indeed come back. As Paul draws our mind to in verse 10, Jesus is coming back and it will mean an end to our affliction. It will mean that we get to experience the fullness of God's love instead of his wrath for sin. Okay, remember that you are not just saved and transformed for your own blessing, but also that, so that you can go and be a blessing. You are saved and transformed to bring God glory and to build his kingdom here on earth, right here in Fillmore and in Andrew County okay, and beyond. Okay, because our God has a beautiful plan. He has a beautiful plan to build his kingdom. So to conclude, God, God does not leave us by our lonesome when we are suffering affliction, nor do we suffer affliction for no reason, nor is affliction going to continue forever. Okay, God is gracious, loving, and kind. And today he has brought us a message in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10, that because of his work in us through the gospel, we can be encouraged in our work. He has called us to be encouraged in his saving work, his transforming work, and his kingdom-building work. Okay, because ultimately everything we are to be encouraged by today in our passage is God. Okay, everything we walk through had God at its core and as its focus. We are encouraged when we lift our eyes off of ourselves and our situation and onto our great God. Nothing else is going to encourage you like God will in his word. Okay, we get to go to his word for encouragement because his word leads us to him. That is why we go to his word. It's because it brings us to him. Okay, and he is a sure and steady source of hope in our affliction. When we are downcast and needing encouragement, we will not find anything lasting in the news and political reforms and physical safety and comfort or anything else. It must be in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, as I conclude here, listen to Psalm 18, verses 2 through 3 and then 27 through 32 describe why God is our sure encouragement. It says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, in the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. For you light my lamp, 
the Lord God illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. So church, be encouraged today by God's work through the gospel that brings your salvation, your transformation, and his kingdom. So let's pray together. And I like to just take a couple moments to allow you guys to just pray to yourselves and just respond to God's word and then and then I will pray to close us. So if you would just take a moment to respond to God's word. Father, we come to you today, God, and we are so thankful for your word, Lord, that that leads us to you, for the hope that we have in in your son, Jesus. Lord, that he has truly, Lord, died for our sins. He has risen from the grave to defeat sin and death. He ascended, Lord, to your right hand to to be our mediator, God, and he will come back again. Lord, let that be our hope today, God. Let that be our hope as a church, God. And may and may you do such a work here at Fillmore Christian Church that your word sounds forth from them, that, that people see their faith, Lord, that this church would, Lord, work by faith. They would labor in love and they would remain steadfast in hope, God. I pray that they would continue to characterize this church, God, that you would just do a wonderful work. I pray that, Lord, at that Fillmore Fall Fest, God, that you would bring the gospel and power full of the Holy Spirit and conviction, God, that you would do a mighty and wonderful work and that you would use your church to do it, God, that they would see you use them in mighty ways. God, I pray that today, this church, those who are in here and who need encouragement in the midst of affliction can find it in you, God, that you would bring comfort and peace and hope to their hearts, Lord, that, God, you would be able to lift our eyes off of ourselves and onto you and be strengthened by you alone, God. Lord, we thank you for what you are doing. Lord, throughout history and right now, even right here, God. We pray all these things in faith in your Son. Amen.